0: This is the Environmental Echo brought to you by P.W. Grocer Consulting, and I am your host, Paul Boyce, President and CEO of P.W. Grocer today we've got another exciting topic for you and one that's really important to the region that we live and work in Uh, that's going to be resiliency we got two great guests Uh, i've got dr paul grocer the founder of pw grocer consulting who is now our executive chairman of the board he founded the firm about 30 years ago uh, as a sole proprietor and we have come such a long way since then and it's been a great ride Uh, i've also got charlie bartha again for the third time third time's a charm on the uh, environmental echo here He is a senior vice president with our engineering group. Uh, He's also a former commissioner of Suffolk County uh, with the Department of Public Works. And I want to welcome both Paul and Charlie to the Environmental Echo. What I'd like to start off with for our listeners' benefit is, you know, we bandy this topic or this word, this phrase around quite a bit. You know, it, it really came into, you know, its own, really, after, in my mind, after Superstorm Sandy, which was, what, October of 2012 or so? you know like so we're, we're going on you know nine ten years after the fact after that storm and, and uh, there's still areas of the county and, and, and the island and the region you know that they're still affected by it so can you guys just give me an overview of what resiliency is what it means you know how uh, what are we doing what where are we going with
1: this what is resiliency if you, if you go to the dictionary and look at resiliency it's it's uh, the ability to bounce back uh, and that's what we're looking to do it's the ability to withstand uh, extreme events uh, and recover from them as rapidly as we can and uh, afterwards. Um, one of the things we have to remember is resiliency is not just about climate change. There's a whole load of things that can happen to us in this day and age uh, that can impact what we do. Um, there's cyber attacks, which you saw on the pipeline uh, just a few weeks ago. There's terrorist attacks. There's just plain old system failures that happen. S- stuff does happen, and. Uh, it, in our world. Uh, pandemic in- impacted the, uh, the country, the world, and that also uh, requires some resiliency. So it's a very broad area w- when you start talking about it. And it makes you have to look at everything we've done as far as engineers uh, to see how they withstand some of these impacts. You, you know, you do a design and then you have to say, well, what, ha- what if, what happens if we freeze this thing? Like they had, you know, the loss of power in Texas. Oh yeah. Uh, due to the freeze. You you can't have your own state just without any other connections to to other electrical grids. So uh, that's the kind of thing we're talking about in resiliency, how to bounce back from whatever hits you. You you can't always
2: anticipate. You try to anticipate as much as possible, as Paul was alluding to, but there's things that just you can't. At the county, we used to have these desktop exercises from time to time that uh, suppose there is a hurricane and there's a coincidental – before the hurricane comes is a power failure so there's a lot of things to consider but by training and making as much infrastructure improvements as you can uh gives you the versatility to be able to do that to be able to uh, be resilient and and uh, come back
0: well i mean it's it's interesting you know you guys brought up a, a real good list of ideas or concepts topics that would fall under you know resiliency or how to be more resilient you know just like you said the pandemic i mean that took us by storm you know and we are still uh, more or less not maybe in the, in the the real deep throes of it but we're still in the midst of it you know and, and trying to bounce back from that you know and and then again in the future how do we prevent or how do we mitigate these things from happening uh, or just be better prepared for they don't spread so rapidly mm-hmm. you know I, I that was great and, and also you know terrorism and cyber terrorism now I, I, you know you mentioned with the, the pipeline that we're getting hacked and turning off a fuel supply to a region, you know, we've seen, you know, all of a sudden the price of gas goes up overnight, you know, incredibly, or there's a, a real run on it, you know. What are we doing um, regionally to make Long Island more resilient in, in, in the face of um, oh gosh it's, it's it's always a hot topic mm-hmm. climate change you know rising sea levels storm surges these these more infrequent powerful storms like you know i mentioned superstorm sandy or charlie mentioned hurricanes you know we, we get socked with those you know every few years and they seem like they're coming you know faster and more furious and, and more often um what's what's the plan
1: the, the focus right now is on uh protecting critical infrastructure this is wastewater treatment plants which are generally in low-lying areas, uh, by the shoreline, uh, hospitals, which can be in those areas, um, power plants that are on the shoreline, those kind of things. So you want to, the focus right now is, like I said, on is, is protecting those, which is kind of like the low-hanging fruit. Uh, it's not a regional approach, but it's a very focused approach, um, so, so we can deal with with things on the short term. Longer-term issues are do you start putting up floodgates different places? Uh, They do this in Europe. The Thames River in London has a floodgate. Rotterdam Harbor has a floodgate. Um, Venice in Italy has floodgates. It's a little shaky on how they, uh, (laughs) they a little problems with construction, a little problems with operation, but uh, those things have to be worked out. Um, Also part of the the key issues is having a plan uh, on how you're gonna react to Mm. an event um it may be evacuation it may be shelter in place but you've got to have that plan as you're designing the resiliency um engineering wise it's got to be both an engineering and a planning process and a social process Uh, a lot of the work we did for um high density housing in in the rockaways to protect those buildings against i think there was there was a plan you're going to protect the building you're going to evacuate the building as part of the evacuation of the building, you had to know the people in the building. So it was a neighborhood type of uh, approach. So they knew someone on the third floor was in a wheelchair and needed assistance in getting out, particularly if the elevators weren't working, Uh, things like that. And how do you then enhance that sociability within that building? Do you have common areas where people can socialize and get to know their neighbors and they get to know the um, effect of a a storm and whether these people can uh sustain themselves whether sheltering in place or uh, evacuating so it's all part of both engineering and socialization and planning that goes into this it's not just an engineering solution uh,
0: you brought up something that never ever crossed my mind with this the social aspect you know like getting people together it seems like it's getting more and more difficult in that respect with the internet and smartphones and, and iPads and everything else yeah. you know I, I just see it in our own office with with the younger crowd you know how they tend to socialize can you can it be done virtually or does that you
1: know is it more difficult have has anything like this been tried before I think that's co- really new. <laughs> uh, on that, I think that still you're going to try for more and more socialization as you can. And like like we talk around the office, it's it's the in-person contact that develops these things. It's not something that you can just develop on a website. On huh? a website or virtually,
2: <laughs> all those virtually. social media uh, avenues certainly can get the message out but yeah. whether you're going to get people to f- to listen to it is mm-hmm. everything has become quite polarized on every subject you can think of uh, so you got to get people to believe and you know the, one of the big problems when I was at the county people would be resistant to evacuating whether it was Fire Island where you're particularly vulnerable or in the low lying areas of the county. Well you just you know Paul mentioned the evacuation you just brought it up and that was you
0: know as soon as you both said it I'm like okay, we have to have a plan to do this, right? But have we ever had like a dress rehearsal? You know, like back in school when we were kids, we'd have a fire drill. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody line up, we're getting out of the building, you're gonna stand here until this is over, right? Well, I mean, it's great, we're gonna evacuate, but you know what happens? Everybody rushes for the one bridge at once, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's mayhem. Do we have, I mean, obviously there's a plan, but have we tested the plan? I mean, I know you said desktop studies. Yeah. What do you do?
2: I don't think, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that done. I haven't seen anyone try to implement it. Nope, I don't no? think
1: so. Um, you know, I think um, some of these high-rise apartment buildings in the city, I think the fire department does some dress rehearsals by just responding and, you know, knowing where fire hydrants are and knowing uh, ways to get out. Um, we did s- programs for those, those places on what evacuation routes they should be taking because that's the key aspect. You've got to know what the evacuation route is. We um, did work at at, um, Staten Island Hospital. And in that instance, when the water was at the doorstep, there was no way out. It became an island and there was eight feet of water all around the facility. So they had to have this plan. They had to know, you know, are they going to evacuate or are they going to shelter in place? And they've got to make that decision early it's it's not like you can wait and say "Uh uh-oh it's coming in the front door let's get out of here and particularly when you've got patients and and things like that where require a lot of advanced planning to move so uh, big planning aspect to that and knowing what that evacuation route is at at least have people aware of it and and knowing how to go we we did a plan for Good Sam Hospital where uh, the the original plan was to be able to shelter in place and Mm -hmm. keep operational And we essentially had a a barrier around the whole campus. Um, And the intent was to be able to get cars in from Montauk Highway uh, so you could actually continue operation of the hospital uh, uh, during uh, an extreme event. Um, The wall did not go over very well with the town. uh, (laughs) I remember. (laughs) For, you know, aesthetic reasons. So we changed the plan. We said, okay, we're going to do a smaller wall designed to a um, less extreme storm uh, but we're going to have to evacuate to do that so there's an evacuation plan now in place as part of that uh, structures going in uh, to protect the hospital so now it's protect the hospital evacuate the hospital but be able to return to a fully functional hospital when the events over
2: and that that is one of the interesting things of what good engineers do is they react, they don't get locked into one solution. You have to be creative and see what other solutions there are, taking into account other considerations, yeah. and in this case, the community.
0: Yeah. Oh, and there's a lot of contingencies, but I, I forgot where it, it, it was either quoted by somebody or I read it it was some military phrase. It's not the plan that failed, but the failure to plan, right? right? And I, I think that may apply here, but I'm, I'm still always leery about mass evacuations. You know, uh, you, you see them in, in Florida when the hurricanes come and they're all trying to all on one road. That's just a big jumble of cars. And, yeah. you know, uh, same thing over here in Long Island, where it's a very densely populated area. Um, we do have roadways, you know. Uh, you can see at rush hour, it doesn't seem like we have uh, nearly enough roadways. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you trying mm-hmm. to go through that Oakdale merge at 5 o'clock, any night of the week, and you,
2: you want to pull your hair out. Right. Um, you, so that you that that have you always have the people that just refuse to evacuate, no matter what circumstances. That's correct. And that jeopardizes the uh, first
0: responders and the emergency people. Absolutely then. correct. And, again, that was something you saw in Superstorm Sandy. You know, you looked at, like, areas of Queens that caught fire and, then, you know, mm-hmm people had to come and rescue them and you got to put yourself at risk to you know right. or, or un- un- maybe unnecessary risk to, to help save someone you know So it's, it's again very very critical and very very crucial um, that's why you know in my mind it's great to have a plan but I want to make sure the plan is gonna work right. you know so kind of like I said when we were kids <laughs> yeah. Fire alarm goes off yeah. We all get out of the building well, right?
1: the, you know, the mass evacuations are always difficult Particularly on barrier islands where yeah. You have a hardy have group of people Who said I've ridden uh, out hurricanes before And I can ride out this one And they don't know what this one coming. is There's yep. a big difference between a category no. one And a category three And they don't necessarily uh, Want to follow instructions and, and do you think
0: that these categories ones twos threes are they getting more severe so is like a category one like a thing of the past or is it i mean there'll always be smaller scale storms but are the bigger scale storms going to be you know whatever the next category is six seven or yeah. i mean are, are we due for something like that
1: you know I, I think when they do the analysis for long island they don't see those type of storms hitting here they just kind of run out of gas getting over cooler water as that water warms up you might see some category threes which you hadn't seen in the past Mm. uh so you're gonna probably see um some more intense storms and and, you know the the thing that is really concerning is the uh these storms come and they'll end up stalling sandy did that it stalled and usually you know a hurricane will pass through in you know six hours maybe so it passes relatively quickly normally sandy sat there for two days a number of tidal cycles so it just compounds the flooding issue, you think you're out of it, and then it, it comes back right, with, with more of a vengeance. So you, you're concerned with that. I think it was Hurricane Irma in the um, Bahamas sat there for two days right, over uh, Grand Bahama Island and just ravaged the place, you know, and you just couldn't get away from it. So there wasn't any breathing room. Mm. Um, so we're seeing more and more of that. We saw you know, Harvey went and stalled over Houston right, and dumped a ton of rain. Which they weren't prepared for so uh m- more concerned with planning for the duration of the storm where we used to think it was kind of like one and done and now it just kind of can sit there for a while
0: um you also mentioned wastewater you know uh, generally wastewater treatment plants you know engineering 101 shit flows downhill right <laughs> so you want to put it at the bottom of the hill which is generally down by the bay down by the co- coast someplace right. you know um you know right in the wake or right in the way of whatever tidal surge storm and wave action you know um, rising sea level what are we doing at these places Uh, obviously we're not going to move a sewage treatment plant inland at least i don't think we are (laughs) at this point i mean maybe we won't have a choice in the future or maybe we'll have a whole different type of technology at that point but right
2: now what are we doing to make our our wastewater treatment plants more resilient here here in long island well i mean there are a number of things first Think about the problem they had in Japan with the nuclear uh, power plant failure where they basically had the generator in the basement. So they lost power for one of the simple aspects of the facility, which led to the whole catastrophic failure. Um, the uh, So those kind of areas, uh, the power generating at treatment plants are being protected. Um, they have, uh, and you also uh, basically abandon the idea of treating the sewage during a very major storm. And When I was commissioner, there was an instance where we, and the treatment plant was designed for 30 million gallons a day, the Bergen Point Treatment Plant, we had a tremendous storm. We were passing 90 million gallons a day through that plant. We had so much water coming in. And part of the problem was uh, you have people will open, they're trying to relieve flooding in the street, and they open the, the sanitary sewer. So now you have a tremendous Mm -hmm. amount of water going through the system. So the water that was passing through the plant wasn't typical sewerage. It was watered down, but still something you try to avoid. So I think the the, uh, county has been installing more uh, waterproof uh, manhole covers to keep the water out of the system, locking covers. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier about when we were installing these sewers uh, elevation three-and-a-half had been selected as the, uh, f- the flood level so anything three-and-a-half or below which was actually a pretty good part of the sewer district mm-hmm. was uh, watertight manhole covers um, but now you see it's at much higher elevations you have to be concerned and, and Paul you were involved in this uh, more than myself on the resiliency projects that we did but like fixing the height of the of the wall uh mm-hmm. is something important and the the basis for that you know be interesting to hear as well as uh something that layman lay people don't think about is that you you build a wall to protect a facility but w- you still have all that rain coming down now it's impounded inside the wall so right. you've got to be prepared to get rid of that as well
1: yeah on on the flood elevations um What's unique is, in the past, we always looked at the past was going to represent the future. So we said, we you know, whatever we've seen in the past is going to continue into the future. Well, that we can throw out the window now with the climate change. So we're seeing increased intensity of storms, increased flood levels. So what used to be the 100-year storm may be the 50-year storm mm-hmm. now. So, and then the question is, how do we predict into the future Do we just take A straight line and say okay this is where it's going or is it going to increase exponentially or is it going to level off at some point we really don't know so there's a lot of projections being made uh, by a lot of scientists around the world on sea level rise temperature changes and everything else with a whole slew of different models so we kind of look at those um, and also we did some modeling of our own from models that are out there that models storm surge in on Long Island, in the, in the New York Bight, and areas like that, to see what they would show us. Uh, so we did kind of a sensitivity analysis at looking at all these different things um, and looking at you know, what Sandy provided. Um, and we, we came up with, originally, a flood elevation of, of 10 feet, which is pretty sig- significant. Um, and w- when we revised it to, to change the plan, we revised it down to 8 feet. Now the code for FEMA for for hospitals is a recommendation of the 500-year storm. So the 8 feet was still a little bit above or about the same as the 500-year storm. So FEMA was okay with us designing the system to that so it could be funded by the federal government. So, so that was the good thing, it was still in there. But you know, designing to code is no longer going to be the way it's done in, in these particularly in critical infrastructure situations. Um, you're going to have to look at the code, and that's going to be a guide. You don't want to be less than code, but you're going to have to say, okay, is code adequate for this? And then what Charlie brought out before is you want to avoid these catastrophic failures. You don't want to design something so if for some reason you get a storm that's greater than the storm you designed for, the whole system collapses. Yeah. Okay, So it's got to be strong enough and robust enough so if the, if the wall gets overtopped, you still can deal with it and you're not going to have a collapse of the wall. You know, the uh, the levee failure in Katrina, Katrina. Yep. It was, it was a classic example of where they designed for a 100-year storm, and exactly a 100-year storm, and when they had greater than a 100-year storm and the water came over the levee, it eroded behind the levee because they didn't protect Behind the levee, because it was only going to be funded for a hundred-year storm, and then the levee failed, and that literally killed hundreds of people and flooded out a whole neighborhood. And then you talk about you know social justice and things like that, which is coming into play. These, days. this was yep. a very uh, low-income um, minority neighborhood, neighborhood yeah. uh, devastated. Just co- you know, people were on the roofs of their homes and uh, cutting through the roofs of their homes to. Because they were in the attic to, to get out and to get saved. Uh, it's a horrible situation. So we've, we've got to be cognizant of those things as we design in the future.
2: Essentially, you need a way to triage and allow some of the water to, to pass in a situation yep. like that. It's like a, a bypass of a dam
1: or something. Exactly. Yeah. Well,
2: something
0: else that's, that's always on my mind, you know, we're, we're on Long Island. We've got barrier islands, right? And during Sandy, we had breaches of those islands, you know. So uh, in my mind also, it's it's always been a temporary structure out there. Hopefully temporary is long, long after I'm gone, but we'll see. Um, you know, what happens when we have a breach? You know, I mean, uh, those barrier islands, you know, we don't want our bayfront properties to be oceanfront property. Mm-hmm. They're not designed for it. You know, I've got family that live right on the Great South Bay. Um, they've had to rebuild their bulkhead a number of times already due to storms and you know, a, a bunch of other reasons, but it's—it's just—it seems like it's more and more frequent. Um. You know I, I know that the one breach we had out it's uh, kind of out by Smith's Point in that neighborhood what's it called old, uh, old old Inlet, inlet now inlet. you know and, and it hasn't been filled in it hasn't naturally filled in yet or anything it's it's just there I mean it's been great improvement for water quality I in that area of the Bay but you know what do we do about breaches is there a way to make it so it doesn't happen or do we want these
1: things to happen what's what's the thought process with the barrier island for resiliency it's it's gonna happen
2: you know
1: um, you look at barrier islands on Long Island, you look at barrier islands literally around the world, uh, these things are temporary. They're always moving in geologic time. You know, it might not be in uh, one, one or two people's lifetime. Um, there were breaches, you know, inlets through Fire Island and through Jones Island in the past. You know, there used to be an inlet at Gilgo. Um, these inlets come and go. Marichas Inlet came, came about in a Hurricane of 38. Um, so, so, these things come and go, and it's a natural process. Uh, fighting Mother Nature can become real difficult at times, so you're going to have to live with some of it. Um, the problem comes in, you know, the breach at Old Inlet was in an unoccupied part of the island. So, then it happened. Um, you know, the only people that interrupted was the people who drove down the beach from Smith's Point to get to Davis Park or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but there was no road there. So there wasn't any infrastructure at all. So it really wasn't that big a, a deal. But when you get into a community like Ocean Beach or something like that, if you're going to get a breakthrough there, there's a large economic impact on that. And that's where we've got to make some decisions as to you know how we're going to, to, to deal with it
0: you know Um, money aside is there anything that can be done to stop a breach if you know the ocean says i'm coming through here i mean it's not like uh, we we could build a giant seawall around the sea
2: yeah it's a big problem because we want things to stay the way they are um and as paul Uh. said this has evolved and it was it'll it would continue to evolve if we didn't intercede with jetties and that kind of thing uh you know the natural movement of the sand and every, uh, every solution has its set of problems with it once you try to work with that. I mean, it often, uh, I th- often have thought that some sort of system <coughs> offshore to break the waves uh, <coughs> would be good. That wouldn't make a surfer like you happy. Well, <laughs> it depends. <laughs>
0: it depends. <laughs> <coughs> but, I mean, uh, you brought up a good point. These, like, living shorelines and all yep. these new, you know, I don't want to say new, but these ideas and these technologies, uh, is there any
1: merit to those here on Long Island? I think there are, you know, um, my son's, you know, exploring coral, development of coral reefs as offshore. I think it's not necessarily on Long Island, uh, but in other places, particularly down in Florida and and things like that, where they can get a good growth of coral and and develop these uh, offshore bars, essentially, or or reefs to uh, protect the shoreline. It breaks the the wave action. So um, that's significant. You can also do it with some, some structures you know, concrete structures and things like that, that, are, you know, not a wall per se, but these triads or whatever they're called, uh, you dump a bunch of them yeah. out there to, to create a reef and then uh, let nature take its course as well because that'll develop, um, you know, oysters or whatever, you know, marine growth on them, which helps to develop the reef. So they use it as a, a substrate. And that-
0: Legitimately helps with the storm, or tidal surge, storm surge, well, and, and wave action. It, it
1: helps with the wave action, which is really the big thing that erodes beaches. Um, it will not, you know, if you've got nine foot of tidal surge, you know, it's going to be nine feet high, no matter what you put there. <laughs> you know, we talk same thing we're talking about with the the marshland uh, in the bay. It, it is good for breaking wave action and, mm-hmm. and making things shallower, and so you don't get large waves uh, hitting. Your, you know, your relative's bulkhead, there. Uh, but if you've got nine feet of storm surge, it's still going to be underwater, uh, and it, it doesn't prevent that.
2: Something that's been done recently, you know, the last ten, twenty years, in collaboration of the towns and the county in Suffolk, is uh, go, if you go back to 19, I think it was 1991, there was a small breach. Uh, along Dune Road in what is West Hampton Dunes now, mm-hmm. which cut off access to Cupsorg, a major county af- asset. So for a couple of years, people couldn't get to the beach. What started out as a very small breach um, grew to well over 1,000 feet. Whoa. So it cost a lot more to uh, s- stabilize when they finally got to it. Um, so, but now the uh, county and town, they store sand so that they can react mm-hmm. quickly uh... if there is a small breach and they have done that um, out towards Shinnecock it's mm-hmm. been done a couple of times
1: yeah, Robert Moses was known for having the bulldozers ready during the storm to to fill in any breach that happened uh... along Jones Beach <laughs> uh, I remember right after Sandy
0: uh, over there on, like, Jones Island, too. I mean, the, the trucks, they, they got them down mm-hmm. there, the contractors, mm-hmm. everybody, and they rebuilt that dune very quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we understand the beaches are a big part of our tourism and, and the economy here on Long Island, especially this time of year. It's the middle of August. It's hot. You know, we all want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, we do appreciate them, and, uh, you know, i, I got to say we need them.
2: You know? yeah. Well, the uh, the breakthrough that you were talking about before, Old Inlet, that's particularly interesting. Because of the fact it didn't impact anybody, it was allowed to remain open. And that's been a real positive asset, uh, mm-hmm. from what I understand, both keeping the water clean, having more species of fish in there. Is it navigable? Can people get boats in and out of there?
0: I mean, I've heard it's not the best. Uh,
1: <laughs> it, it's Well, it's not officially navigable. I think if you have a small boat and you know what you're doing, you can do it. People do mm-hmm. it, but I don't try. <laughs>
0: yeah, all right, yeah, no, I, I don't know if I've even paddled my surfboard out through there. <laughs> I,
2: I swam through the breach out of Copsock. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs>
0: very interesting. So you know, we talked about some of the structural ways to address some of these resiliency I- issues. Um, what about procedurally? You know, again, we talked about evacuation plans. Is mm-hmm. there anything else like you know? What happens after something like this hits? You know, I just mentioned somehow, you know, the state of New York, we got dump trucks rolling like within, I don't want to say hours, but days after Sandy hit. You know, what's being done in terms of, you know, bigger regional scale plans? Any idea?
1: Not particular. I think um, DPW and the counties have, uh, and the the city has emergency plans in place, how to get fuel supplies in uh keep pipelines lines going as they can and shared food. equipment
2: uh, agreements that, uh, yeah. which don't work all that well for normal situations but for storms uh, very cooperative the the different counties in the state and snowstorms the state has uh, sent a lot of equipment down to help out the counties
1: and and you see with the power failures all of a sudden you'll see some trucks from Michigan or mm-hmm. things like that where they have these agreements with other power companies around the I mean, country that, that
0: was going to be my next Topic to throw out there was going to be, you know, the, the regional power grid. You know, we saw the devastation that that thing sustained um, during Superstorm Sandy and even last summer, you know, with Isasis or whatever that storm was or hurricane. What's being done? <clears throat> Are we making any improvements? Are we hardening that? I mean, everyone well, says you got to bury it, you got to bury it, you got to bury
2: it. And it, obviously, that costs a lot of money, you yeah, know. Yeah. and you see a lot of who's going to pay for that the ratepayer yeah well that's that's a big problem and you you see a lot of tree pruning going on Mm -hmm. to uh make that situation better i I know you go inland like my daughter lives in pittsburgh they don't have power outages from lines going down and i'm not sure why that is (laughs) but but here obviously we do and the tree trimming is so important Mm. um so that's a big one
1: and every once in a while we get an ice storm Mm. where you yeah. get big builds right. up of ice on and the yeah. wire and it brings it down
2: but think about um, how tied we are to our cars and the move to electric cars now what's going to happen if we don't have electricity for a week everyone's going to need solar with some
0: kind of battery backup <laughs> right need yeah. redundancy yeah. part of the resiliency yeah. but everything costs money yeah
1: well, yeah, and you have backup generators, so uh, yeah, more and more people will be buying yep. backup generators for their homes, and they'll be able to plug in their car, and, you know, it's kind of like each individual home will have its own resiliency yeah. issues on how to, how to deal with this. That's what you need. And, and um,
2: even with uh, the uh, low-pressure sewer systems we've been mm-hmm. dealing with, you need really – each home should really have their own generator. Yeah. That's uh, – you know, like uh, people like ourselves are familiar with that kind of equipment – not a big deal to make that connection. Uh, for other people, it is a big deal, um, unless you do a more expensive installation where it's an automatic transfer. Right. Um, so uh, again, it costs money. But How, mu- how much protection do we need, come down to <laughs> and how much patience Charlie, do we I've got to be oh. air conditioned. All right? <laughs> <laughs> that's like, I, uh, I can't you know, live yeah, like that anymore. And
1: for some people, it is a health issue, yeah, people yeah, who right. actually need the air conditioning to, to survive, uh, or need the heat. You know, so people who are, um, I would say, compromised, but the elderly right. in general Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. need some of that protection. You have people
2: uh, on oxygen. Oxygen
0: uh, is
1: yeah. one, 100%. Right. right. So we've got to look at all the whole spectrum of society when we do these designs uh, on on who the vulnerable people are and, and protect them. And that's where you – Charlie talked about triage. That's, wh- that's where you're going for the protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, have shelters – for those people, know who they are so you can get them to the mm-hmm. shelter. Because they're not gonna be, unless you tell them they gotta move, their first instinct is to hunker down. You know, I, I've been around here 80 years, I've seen everything, it, you We're know. Not going anywhere, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and these people tend to be very independent <laughs> when uh, they get to that age and, uh, yeah. and set in their ways. It's very set in their ways. <laughs> so uh, <laughs>
2: I'm related to a couple of them. <laughs> you I <don't> <laughs> <laughs> we all are. Maybe we are some of them, who knows? <laughs>
0: uh, anyhow, you know, we, we touched on, you know, the topic of climate change, right? And you mentioned, you know, storms are doing this, or are they doing this, you know? Where's it going in the future? How are the, the predictions, you know, like, the, the one thing here, being on an island again, it comes back to sea level rise, mm-hmm. right? What kind of handle, you know, what are we predicting for the next 30, 40, 50 years, you know, probably after we're, you know, retired and maybe someplace else even <laughs> besides retired at that point? Um, you know, what's in store? What's, what's, what's the crystal ball telling us?
1: Well, we're seeing, we're talking about significant sea level rise. We're talking, um, I think in the fi- next 50 years, we're talking something like 30 inches. That's, you know, that's two and a, that's a half feet. A, yeah, that that's, that's puts it over most bulkheads uh, on a consistent basis. You know, we're, we're seeing, you know, the ramifications we're seeing of it right now are areas, low-lying areas that used to flood maybe a few times a year or every month on a full moon tide, they're now flooding more frequently. So it's, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you go out there and you see, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm under two feet of water. It's, it's just you get more frequent flooding than you did in the past uh you know have these king tides all of a sudden become become an issue um you know broad channel in queens they actually raised the road um raised the sanitary systems raised all the infrastructure and you know encouraged and pretty much forced the homeowners to raise their houses so that they were up above the road so you didn't have to it's really disconcerting to walk down from the road to your house in a low-lying area. So, oh, So those people raise their houses. Anytime it rains. <laughs> you know, so um, they get the message. Um, so you're going to see things like that happening. You know, long term, you know, no, no one really knows what it's going to be. Um, we're, we're planning out 50 years and trying to make designs that way. We're also looking at those projections. There's a wide range of projections, and you say, okay, we know it's going to be somewhere in here and then start looking at the economics of it and say, you know, we really can't design reasonably to this high-end projection. So let's design to something a little less than that, mm-hmm. you know, projection that maybe we feel is more reasonable, but based upon our experience, it's, we think it's reasonable, but it may not be reasonable in the future. But we're, we're trying to, to balance the economic aspect with uh, what we see for the future and um it's not easy
2: hopefully all these efforts to reduce the uh, human aspect of uh Im- impact on mm-hmm. climate change uh reducing the carbon footprint will start to have an impact mm-hmm. and you know uh, you at see least that pre- level bend that the curve portion.
0: yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well we saw the drop in the, the carbon emissions during the pandemic yeah the lockdown right. right globally we saw a drop yeah. you know it was it, it I mean I'm not gonna say it it can't be done it certainly can be done but that was an extreme situation but you're you're right switching over to electrification of vehicles you know Mm -hmm, fewer mm -hmm. emissions that way Um, even with your home not burning fossil fuels to heat and cool that you know there's there's a whole bunch of things that can be done but you know before it was climate change it was global warming right you know are we still seeing a rise in in global global temperatures I mean You know, as a surfer, I've seen the ocean be a little bit warmer in some years than it has in
1: others. You know, just little things like that that tip me off. Yeah, today's Newsday, I think, had an article on exactly that. And it says, you know, scientists are saying the tipping point is one and a half degrees Celsius increase. And I think we're at like 1.1 or something like that, 1.2 now. And they think, you know, we're going to pass that in 2030. Uh, Wow. So, you know. It's incumbent upon us to try and to bend that curve some. Um, so you know, I was on a webinar with New York City DEP this morning, and they're talking about getting themselves to zero emissions, carbon emissions uh, by 2050, I think it was. Um, using energy from the wastewater treatment plants, um, generating gas with the, with the um, sludge um, yep. reactors. Um, taking heat out of um, the water. Wastewater, that we, yeah. we, we had talked about quite a bit over the last oh, few yeah. years and had been talking to them about. Um, you know, and they, they take pride in their New York City water supply system because it's all gravity and they're actually using hydro coming over those dams to generate power that's uh, carbon-free power. Yeah. Um, so they're trying very hard to, to reduce their carbon emissions.
0: So, you know, another aspect is, you know, we see out west right now there's a lot of wildfires, a lot of drought, uh, which some people claim, you know, could be attributed to climate change again. Um, Don't really see that here in, like, the northeast, but do you guys see anything else in terms of, you know, increasing rainfall or or aspects
1: like that that we may have to deal with in the future? DEC is projecting a 20% increase in rainfall in New York State uh, in the next, I think, so, I mean, just thank you for that inter- as a result of the global warming and climate change. Um, you know, whether it makes any, you know, just the one data point right now, the New York City reservoirs are eight percent over their normal capacity at this time. Um, and I think we're at a, a, above normal as far as rainfall this year. Are we maxing out compared to what we'd seen in the past? I don't think so, but um, we yeah, have you know, in the last few years, though, we've had some negative years too so we have, we'll have to look at one but it's, point. It's,
0: uh, it, but it's those years when we have more you know as, as the engineers that have to d- design some of the infrastructure like for drainage you know uh, we got to collect the stuff we got to convey it we have to store it and recharge it or discharge it you know um, you start getting 20 percent more on average you know and you look at the systems and obviously we're designed for a certain size storm but if those storms <laughs> start to get exceeded more frequently too mm. it goes back to more frequent flooding
1: you know oh, yeah I, and you know we've looked at you know some of the work we've done at the hospitals uh they were subject to uh, these microbursts where you all of a sudden you get yep. eight, eight inches of rainfall in couple a couple hours in a couple hours, which we've never see here normally, and uh, it just overwhelms the system yep uh so you know part of the design at good Samaritan is to to be able to withstand some of those microbursts uh, and move move the water off the property to recharge areas so you know just kind of
0: wrapping things up a little bit you know in the grand scheme of things you know what's th- how do we put all these pieces of the puzzle together to make the region and Long Island more resilient all right I, again I know money is certainly one of them funding you know whether it comes from grants or it comes from the federal government or it comes from the taxpayer rate wh- whatever but where do we start you know <laughs> what's What's got to be the priority, and, and, and how long is this going to take? And by the time we get done with it all, is it, it going to be so far different that what we just did uh, doesn't
2: make a difference yeah. anymore? The decision makers have to look at it very carefully and not have knee-jerk reactions, uh, which is something that's very tempting to people. Um, and then you, you're not going to be able to protect for everything at once uh, or everything ever. But So you do it a little at a time, and the most important areas, you know, like Paul said, water supply, hospitals, water treatment,
1: you know, sewage treatment. Yeah. Um, ultimately, there should be some regional thought to the thing. You know, New York City's looking at the big U down at the bottom oh of Manhattan yeah. to protect, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Lower Manhattan. Lo- lower Manhattan. Um, should we be looking at floodgates on Fire Island and Jones Inlet and things to limit flow during those periods? Possibly. Um, it protects a large area y- you're not going t- either you're going to raise everyone's homes up and then you may have to raise them up again as this uh, sea level keeps rising oh my God. Um <laughs> or you've got to start looking oh at boy. it regionally you know critical infrastructure is is quick and it protects us for the near term long term you, you know you're gonna have to look at other things uh... particularly if, if it just continues to to go up uh... you know you're gonna everyone's gonna be looking to holland to, you know, where they've lived with this for hundreds of years, you know, and they know all about dikes and co- controlling water Man. and, and Man. managing it, and uh, you know, and, you know, you're, you know, tens of miles from the shoreline, and yeah. there's a field there, and all of a sudden you see this boat going through the field because yeah. they have very well. low-lying areas, and they know how to manage well, it. Uh,
2: you know, and you said that before also, and uh, it certainly has been discussed here. The concept of uh, of massive floodgates, the Corps of Engineers talked about it as early as the early seventies. They went to public hearings for work they were planning in Coney Island at the time. Um, there's opposition, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as it being costly. And so the uh, the decision makers, the elected officials, really have to have the stomach to stand up and say, you know, this is what what needs to be done follow the advice of engineers mm-hmm. um, but to, I don't think we're going to see it happen <laughs> is my answer <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's nice
0: when they, when they do listen, that's for sure Alright, so I, I have one more question It's maybe getting on the, the personal side of things because you guys have mentioned it many times on the podcast I love to be out in the water in the ocean you know, and I've been reading articles lately by NASA about this moon wobble right have you guys heard about this in like 10 years from now the moon's going to be in this phase where you get that wobble where it creates higher high tides oh, yeah. all right so cities like miami you know you, you mentioned venice and, and italy and, and certainly lower manhattan and new york and maybe even our barrier beaches are going to start to see these higher high tides you know is there anything we can do now 10 years in advance to prepare for something like that or is this just you know wait and see or, or what what i mean this is just you know Something that I've been reading a little bit about. And I, I found it very interesting. And, you know, obviously I'll be 10 years older from now if I'm, I'm still around. And uh, <laughs> maybe in a different <laughs> part of my life and it uh, won't matter. But uh, right now it sure does. i got to tell you, you read different things than I do. Yeah. I, haven't,
1: <laughs> I haven't seen or heard about that. I'll defer to Paul. <laughs> I, I saw the headline on the moon wobble, but I didn't yeah. read the article. uh if it's, I don't know, you know. <laughs> uh, it's, all right. Uh, maybe
0: I'm getting into my mystic side here or yeah. something. I don't know, but it was, it was interesting, you know, just higher high tides. High tides. And it, that has, just because of the phase of the moon, <laughs> and this happens in cycles, like every 10, 20, 30 years, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll get lower low tides when it's, when it's out of that. So, um, but as a surfer, we normally don't like the high tide, okay?
1: <laughs> well, right now I don't like the low tides. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, as a boater, you don't like the low tide. I get it.
0: We're at odds. All right. Well, guys, any closing thoughts on resiliency before we wrap up for today?
2: I think uh, everyone's got to keep an open mind, both the engineers, the planners, and the public. And the public, for sure,
1: yeah. It's a uh, cooperative effort and a a collaborative effort. Uh, You know, planning and engineering and economics and and finance all come together with this, and it's got to be... well thought out on all fronts. You can't have yeah. something that fails, in an engineering sense, it, you know, it won't work, can't fail socially either, because if people don't evacuate or f- don't follow the plan, whatever you designed isn't gonna work. It's not gonna, yeah. s- that gonna serve the purpose yeah. of saving people's lives.
0: As I said, it wasn't the plan that failed, but the failure to plan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there we go. Uh,
0: well said, Paul. Thank you. I, I wanna thank both of you today, Dr. Paul Grosser, our, uh, Ch- executive chairman of the board of directors at P.W. Grocer and Charlie Bartha senior vice president of our engineering unit at P.W. Grocer uh, again I'm Paul Boyce the host and president and CEO of P.W. Grocer to our listeners again if you guys have any comments or suggestions or questions feel free to reach out to us at our website which is www.pwgrocer.com podcast I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this very interesting and important topic of resiliency today and again It's been a pleasure. Take care.